This is Coda Radio, episode 164, for July 27th, 2015. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, who is most definitely established on the East Coast. While you, ladies and gentlemen, yes, you may have heard, it's the Michael Dominic. Hey there, Mike. Hello, hello. Hey, handsome. You know, I thought maybe, I thought maybe this would be the week. That Jar Jar wouldn't be here. And I, I actually wrote it down right here. I've got uh, over here, Mike, uh, every quarter radio I write down if Jar Jar is going to uh, appear in the uh, Unfiltered Red Book. I just have a little section written off. And right here I said, no Jar Jar today. Totally called it. Red Book prediction comes true at the top no of the quarter radio program. It's not a Jar Jar today. Nope. No, we don't need no Jar Jar. So how you doing? Are you feeling okay? Everything just, a, you know, like the 10-second health update? Are you good? Are you yeah, I'm good. I'm alive. I, I was doing a ton of, uh, been, well, I've been doing a ton of native Android programming. What? So... Yes. Really, yeah. I'm excited to learn more about that. Um, in the Android Studio, so that always makes you feel better. Um, I, I uh, we have a great show today. Uh, we really have a great show today. I have something that's super important to talk about, kind of coming up just at the top. I won't take a lot of time, but uh, it's really, really big. Um, you grabbed an article uh, from NPR that I also saw over the weekend, so I'm glad you grabbed it. And then this uh, and Gadget posted something today that I think has major ramifications for platforms and also for for systems that don't have a big app ecosystem, um, ones that are going to rely on HTML5 apps. And then we got a r- lot of really good feedback to dig through. So between that, a couple other Hoopla items, I got to start with. A story, just a brief one. I went, those of you who uh, follow Weekly know that I was down at OSCON last week. Big OSCON, over like 4,200 attendees or, so, or close to 4,200 attendees. And uh, I don't know, I don't know, <clears throat> I don't know if it was a con crud. I think it might have been. But uh, on Friday, so I came, we went down there Wednesday. I got back Thursday evening. Friday morning, I woke up a little sick. By Friday afternoon, I was feverish, shaking, uh, unable to walk, unable to stand, full-on, horribly sick, very, very sick Friday. Had to cancel the Unfilter show. Went into Saturday. You know, I have, uh, you know, I have a fitness tracker, and basically I'm flatlined. Saturday, Friday, Saturday, I get up to do last. I get through a, a marathon Linux action show that uh, went start, we started recording the Linux action show around 9.30, you know, we were live around nine. We started recording around ten. We finished up almost around one thirty, two o'clock in the afternoon. It was a monster, and they basically went back to bed and didn't move. Um, and got so, so, so sick. I just was my my devastated. It was devastated. So, uh, you know, it's just been health stories recently. So, oh, it was awful. But I actually feel I'm better today. So that's good. I've been drinking water, and uh, yeah, like Rikai points out, the, the final recorded version of Linux Action Show was over two hours. Uh, yeah, and thankfully I felt good enough to do last from, because I rested up Saturday that uh, it, was, it, was, it wasn't that bad. And I'm back on my feet now. I, I, I managed to walk that line carefully. 
Uh, but that's not actually what I, I you know, Mike, uh, over, the, over the history of the Coda Radio program, every now and then I've come on air and I've talked about something that we wanted to do uh, at the network, something like uh, maybe a project we wanted to work on or um, um, maybe like a soundboard application I needed or converting the site to Markdown. Like every now and then I've thrown out these ideas and gotten an amazing response. And uh, sometimes they've been really, really great. Like we've had some really cool people help out with some great projects. And, uh, and sometimes they've just been fun things, like the open-your-mouth uh, recipes. Uh, and so um, I wanted to maybe try one more time. And I don't know if maybe I'm uh, overwhelcoming, overstaying, overstaying my welcome, but I had a really fun idea. So and it's, it, you're, this is the first, really kind of the first time in an official show anybody's going to hear about this. And uh, it's going to have much larger ramifications for the Linux Action Show. The Linux Action Show is, uh, is in its ninth year. It'll be approaching its 10th year. And in this transition time, there could be some really awesome major changes coming to the show. Maybe. And um, a component of that, uh, I need some interaction from the community. I need like a website that the community can interact with to claim sections of a road trip. And uh, so just for an example, I was thinking about an application. It would be a web app that would overlay on top of Google Maps. That, uh, so here's for an example. Uh, there's a highway that runs between uh, uh, the uh, Snohomish County, where the uh, studio is, and to Grand Forks, North Dakota, where Noah's house is. And it turns out to be a pretty popular U.S. road trip. It's, it's about a two-day, three-day, four-day road trip, depending on how you take it. And it's like, it's, it's like rated the number two road trip in the U.S. And uh, I thought one of the really neat things to do would be to meet up with fans and community members and stop at interesting places and do shows and, and things like that along this road. And this is going to connect to the changes that are coming to last. This transition will be taking place during this road trip. And so it would be really amazing to have <clears throat> essentially fans be able to claim section of, sections of the road trip and sort of maybe determine what happens there. Um, and it could be a way to, uh, to sort of chronicle the journey. And when we get there, we record something for that person. And it's, it's something I've been I'm, I'm toying around with the idea of kind of making – a way for different community members to uh, to sort of maybe maybe it's a way to raise funds so they could uh, by by a donation amount they would claim that part of the journey or maybe it'd be like through a voting system and so whatever suggestion got voted to the top that would be the the thing we would do I'm not sure exactly how that would work I'd like to see ideas but the idea I had is a web app that people would go to that uh, uh, they could mark different things along the map different points of interest and say okay well when you're a, so for example like what the hell in this trip am I going to do when I'm driving through Montana? What the hell am I going to do in Montana? And it'd be really cool if a community member could go in here and say, well, when you're in Harlem, I would like to buy this st- stretch of road, or I would, like to, I would like to claim the stretch of road, or I would like to ask for the stretch of road. I don't know what it would be. And when you're in here, do this. And we go there, we take a picture, we record something there. Maybe we do an episode of Coda Radio from there, if it's a Coda Radio audience member. Uh, and I just I think that would be a really, really neat way if uh, we're going to do a couple of episodes on the road across, the, if this happens, it would be a really great way to involve the community. And so I'd love it to have an application for the web that the community creates. I don't know how possible this actually is. If, you, if Google Maps allows you to drop down suggestions on top of waypoints right, right. and then people to draw grids on there. But I think it would be a really neat app if somebody in the community wanted And if you're interested, we have resources over at jbdev.community. And uh, there's... there's uh, different communities there you can reach out to different folks including our IRC chat room and uh, yeah 
I don't know. I'm putting it out there. What do you think, Mike? Am I crazy? Ambitious. I mean, there's a lot of practical problems with that. Oh yeah, yeah. I know, I know. But you know what? I uh, I'm up for a challenge. I think actually, I reviewing it really. I don't think there's anything I can't uh, um, I can't overcome uh, because uh, during this journey, uh, Noah potentially would be uh, as sort of acting as host backup in Grand Forks, being able to actually host shows from there and uh, you know switch and record and deliver the files to Rekai for editing within a pretty short amount of time. If that had that would be the backup. So, we, yeah, it'd be pretty neat. And so if there were, like, you know, along this journey, there might be, like, restaurants people love that they saw once on a road trip or family members that own a, a place that, uh, you know, you'd stop at or, or pe- people listen to the, one of the shows that want us to stop and do a, do a show in their driveway or something like that. Um, just would be a really way, neat way for people to claim around their, their route. And it I would be neat if, it, you know, if we could do any route. So in the future, we could do a route through Canada or we could do a route, in, you know, a different U.S. highway or we could do a, even a trek across Europe. Uh, it would be a really cool thing because if it, if it actually worked, I'd be all for it. It's a challenge I, I've, I've been sort of kicking around for years, actually. And uh, over the last few months, actually worked out some of the, some of the practicals. And um, I don't know. It actually seems kind of doable. Be kind of a neat initiative, I think. So uh, jbdev.community if anybody's interested in getting. Mike thinks I'm crazy. Prove him wrong. Prove him wrong. I do think he's crazy, but it could be a fun trip. Very fun trip. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. I actually I think it would be great to do uh, shows on the road. I think it would add some variety to the shows. Um, and I uh, so like shows like Coda Radio, and basically every show but TechSnap and Lass could be done over a 4G LTE connection. So, uh, and those shows, and Lass and TechSnap, worst case scenario, Noah can do co-hosting backup, and he has those shows handled no problem. The shows like Tech Talk Today, uh, Linux Unplugged, uh, Dakota Radio, and these are all audio-only shows that have a chat room recorded. Well, I just have to have an audio feedback into the studio, just like Mike is right now. And uh, I have good equipment on the road, and I have good audio processing for the road, and we have good audio processing here. So, and I would take one of my studio microphones with me. I would take my studio monitors with me, and I'd actually take all the same studio compression settings with me too for the for the uh, for the mixer. <clears throat> so, it would actually probably sound pretty darn good. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, so before we get into the hoopla, why don't we mention uh, our first sponsor this week? And uh, this is uh, this is perfect because this is definitely somebody I'd be using all the time when I'm on the road, and that is DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean and use the promo code CODERDIGITAL and go find out why Mike and I have been using them for a long time now. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider that's dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own droplet up on their infrastructure. And these droplets are virtual servers with a wide range of power and, and, and really, a great range of pricing, too. Check this out. In under 55 seconds, you're going to get one of, these, one of these systems spun up. It's 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer for guess how much? $5 a month. That's less than I would pay to go get two tacos from Jack in the Box and a Diet Coke. Right? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. For a month. If you use the promo code Coder Digital, you get a $10 credit, you get a you can try it out two months for free. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and a great brand new one in Germany. It's got 40 gigabit e-connections to each hypervisor. They're fastest SSDs yet. And the centralized location in Germany makes it great for all its neighbors. So you're going to get really great distribution speeds over there. And to manage all of it, DigitalOcean has built the best UI in the business. There's a lot of people actually – it's so funny because as they try to rip off DigitalOcean's UI, and there's plenty of them that are trying – 
Uh, they, they get, like, one element of it. And then DigitalOcean continues to iterate the whole platform. Of course, they've also got their great API available for you, which you can replicate the functionality of the dashboard with that API. And then, because they've had these main staples for a long time and they're well-developed features of DigitalOcean now, not something they're just trying to play catch-up on, but one of their main staple features, there is a ton of great community applications around these things, so you don't even really have to do much. Uh, like, for, you know, you could. But, like, just go over to DigitalOcean and look at the community section. First of all, the first thing that's going to smack you in your face is these really, really nice, really nice tutorials. Really well built. They pay these people to write these up. Then they have professional technical editors edit these tutorials. So these are really good. But that's actually not what I'm talking about right now. When you go to DigitalOcean, go to their community section, then click on the projects tab, okay? Look at these. These are just available for you to use right now with your DigitalOcean droplets. They can just, you're, if you've got a $5 a month one, like you're using, the, you're using our coupon, you're using Coder Digital, and you're, getting a ten, you're using it for free for two months, you can still go grab one of these applications. Swimmer is an app for your phone. This Juju, drop, this Juju plugin makes it so you can manage it from the Ubuntu infrastructure landscape, like with a snap. Mist.io. This is also an API for PHP right here. Command.io. This is great if you use a command. And we've actually got a lot of people that write and say they use Command.io. Basin is another great app. The, uh, so is this one too. These, and you go through all of these. They have everything from like uh, from applets that you can throw in your menu bar to Python libraries to it, plugins for other online infrastructures to plugins for Git. I really, I mean, this is this is all stuff that you don't have to do anything. It's already written for you. You can just go grab it. And they have you can break it out. You can do searches. They have it broken down by apps for phones specifically. If that's where you want to go, look at some of those. Uh, oh, here's a good one too. The, uh, the DigitalOcean CLI, which if you use like Gwake on the Linux, on your Linux machine, and you can just have the DOCLI running right there. You do like I hit tilde, bring it down, execute a snapshot command. It's pretty nice. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Coder Digital and get a ten dollar credit. Go try out their UI. Go try out some of their pre-written apps. Go use some of their tutorials. Go play with CoreOS. They've got Ubuntu, LTS, Debian, Fedora twenty twos up there now. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Coder Digital and a big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, so let's talk about this NPR article. Oh, I got. I'll just play. If they got a clip, you can You have to. You have to forgive me. I have to play at least a second or two of it because that's just that's how I roll. Um, um, you know, it's theater of the mind here. So this is NPR. A major flaw in Android phones Android would let hackers just with a text in. the most popular mobile operating system on Earth. Nearly 80% of smartphones run on Android. Woo-hoo. Turns out there's a gaping hole in the software, a hole that would let hackers break into somebody's phone and take over just by knowing the phone number. That's according to the mobile security experts at the San Francisco-based firm's Imperium. All right, so there we go. So that's the story right there. We can stop it there. Uh, with just a text, they say. You don't have to do anything else. Just open the attach. You don't have to open up attachment or anything like that. It's just a text. Uh, messaging app Hangouts instantly processes videos to keep them ready in the phone's gallery. So it looks like it's these uh, things like Hangouts that are processing these files. So what do you think, Mike? What, what grabbed your attention about this? You know, I didn't even think we needed to cover it fully. Just kind of a heads up, since I know a lot of the audience does use Android phones. Um, you do, apparently. I do, yeah. This is an issue, right? And try not to get hit with it. That's all. Really? That's all you have to say? That's all I got. Huh. You know how... So, I mean, yeah, I guess, because we've said, like, we've said what we need to, need to say about this. It's a... The, the real issue comes to more about the OEM fragmentation, not a, not a really right, flaw. Right, the old, oh, you can't get the updates. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we don't need to, to go into that again. It's okay. just more of a, a you know, if somehow you haven't heard of this yet, a little PSA. 
So here's a couple of updates um, as of uh, 2.47 p.m. Uh, East Coast time. Uh, so just a little bit before we started the show. HTC says, Google informed HTC of the issue and provided the necessary patches, which HTC began rolling out to projects in early July. All projects going forward contain the required fix. Uh, T-Mobile says, these kinds of security fixes are usually released by our third-party device partners, so we're working with them to ensure security updates have been deployed. Wow. Wow. Those are both two uh, punty answers. Yep. Wow. That sucks. Well, which brings us kind of to the next Hoopla-related story. Um, you know, and I also, it's kind of related to some feedback we're going to talk about later in the show. Um, but also, I, uh, let's just cover this part of it now. And Gadget has their Ubuntu phone review posted. I'm not sure why, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, seems like a, it, uh, anyways, seems like a little early to review it, but uh, they have their Ubuntu phone review posted, and they say, basically it boils down to um, the scopes uh, are a mix between, um, like, N- Google Now cards and apps, but it's still, like, a whole lot of information on demand that you don't really need. It comes across as noise. Uh, he basically couldn't use it for more than 24 hours. He gave up. So here's what he writes about the scopes. There are several multipurpose scopes. In the nearby card, you can tell the phone your current mood, bored, hungry, thirsty, stressed, etc. If you're hungry, the scope will pull nearby restaurants info from Yelp. Tell you, if you tell it you're bored, and the scope will suggest a nearby landmark, also sourced from Yelp. Show Flickr images taken close to your location and display relevant Wikipedia articles and suggest upcoming concerts, courtesy of Songkick. The music scope shows on-device tracks uh, and what's new on 7Digital, popular tunes on SoundCloud, concert tickets available on Songkick, and what's on YouTube. Uh, but he, uh, he points out that uh, scopes are also customizable. Uh, but uh, And that scopes are a major departure from the isolated app-based user experience. Canonical didn't see any point in building another app ecosystem since it didn't believe there was any incentive for people to switch to Ubuntu if it was just the same as every other OS. It wanted to do something different, putting content and services first. The idea is the user has access to all the content they want directly within Scope's interface and doesn't need to jump in and out of individual apps to get at it. Uh, they say, he says, Scope's achieved that goal. But, essentially... He kind of doesn't like the idea. They're supposed to give the user a personal experience and remove their reliance on a walled apps and bring content to the forefront, but he says it just doesn't deliver. Uh, or maybe he's just too used to the app-first experience. But he says, My main problem with scopes is that I feel I'm being bombarded with content. If I want to check out an upcoming concert on iOS or Android device, then I just load up the Songkick app. But when that's not what I'm looking for, I don't really want to see Songkick listings permanently displayed on my phone, like I'm being almost advertised to. You could argue the solution is to remove Songkick feed from the scope po- it populates, but if it was constantly adding removing sources from scopes, then they really are that all relevant. I don't see why it's preferable to having a dedicated app. Sure, having so much information available at a glance sounds great, but I spend more time thumbing through scopes than I would want uh, to hoping to uh, hopping in and out of apps. So he spends more time thumbing through scopes than he would jumping in and out of apps. Multipurpose scopes feel cluttered, almost like I have several apps running in parallel on the same screen. I doubt the widget-like user interface will work for the majority of people, especially for the limited amount of scopes currently available. Furthermore, scopes are intensely boring. The multipurpose scopes, particularly, are basically white and gray cards with lists of information and the odd visual identifier, like an album cover. Even dedicated scopes that allow a bit more color and branding... Uh, are like spreadsheets for content and a far cry from the feature-rich and visually pleasing apps on major smartphone platforms. Uh, He also has issues with the navigation. Swiping up left uh, sometimes is too sensitive. He couldn't, uh, like when he had the the phone in some orientations, he couldn't uh, get to some of the settings because it would activate some of the gesture controls. 
He feels like the scopes are constantly loading data and causing the system to sometimes run leggy, but he's not quite sure if that's the case. He mentions that he is using, of course, the weaker Aquarius phone and not, not the new MX4 phone. But he says it's not consumer-ready, which doesn't surprise me. He right. says something that might get you. Is there some things in there that are a little confusing in the store? Like in the Ubuntu store, he saw a OneDrive-branded app made from a random developer. And then when he right. downloads it, it just he, and he clicks it, it just sends him to the OneDrive mobile site. That's fantastic. Yeah, so Ubuntu phone, right? Not the great purple hope we thought it was going to be. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Engadget isn't really the, the the right demo for this for this product at this stage, obviously. But uh, um, I, uh, I I feel like uh, I feel like some of the things he touched on with some of the way you navigate with the gesture UI is some of the same stuff. I I kind of I mean, I ran it on my Nexus Five for a little while, and. Um, I didn't find it super intuitive because a lot of that stuff is hidden until you swipe. And in my experience, a lot of users don't just sort of randomly go around experimenting with gestures. Right. Well, that was a lot of the Windows 8 problem, right? With the right. Charm. And they do have a tutorial, but um, I have to tell you that they're still easily forgettable and there's still enough of them that it gets complicated, in my opinion. And they sometimes get acc- accidentally triggered. And, uh, you know, another thing is, is it's, it's sort of, it's also, it's early days in like even just the way it senses your interaction. Um, like so, if you're scrolling through a list of of information, um, and say you want to swipe to the next scope, and you decide okay, you stop scrolling, so you stop the scroll, and then you get a clean horizontal swipe, and you get another clean horizontal swipe, and you start building up momentum, and then your thumb just slips a little bit, and you accidentally get a little vertical lift going, and you accidentally move the screen up or down a little bit, it immediately stops the swipe, and now starts scrolling, and you have to stop the screen, stop it from scrolling, and then build momentum up again and start swiping again, because it's super, super sensitive. Even the slightest minute twitch of your thumb would trigger the vertical scroll and stop your side scrolling. Well, that's kind of a big deal when the primary way you interact with the device is by swiping left and right. So, so to have that vertical up and down so freaking sensitive when one of the main ways you trigger the app launchers and switch between apps and bring up the settings is by swiping. So that, that got to be frustrating for me. I, I, uh, I feel a little so uh, Noah was out here this weekend and uh, he, had a, he, had a, he had a Galaxy S4 and we were talking a little bit about it and we were talking about apps for the watch and things like that. And uh, he was ready to jump from Android for the most part until he tried the Nexus 5, and he seems to be pretty happy with that. And so, Mike, I'm wondering, um, is it time – I'm just wondering, does the pragmatist in you just say it's time to give up on, on – for, for, like, the majority of, like, the North American audience, is it time to give up on and, – and maybe just say the West. <laughs> Let's just, just say the West. Is it time to give up on Firefox OS and Ubuntu Touch and Yala for, for us to ever really consider to be a, a platform we're going to even try to target? And is it just time to double down on Android? Yeah, I mean, that's a difficult question. Um, kind of feel like that's what you've been doing, though. The answer is yes. The answer is absolutely yes, right? You know, mobile phones, we, we, and I think we're pretty bad about this on the show. We talk about, like, it's this new hot thing. But in terms of tech, it's, it's not that new anymore, right? In fact, if you look at some of the, the software that's coming out on tablets, on you know, iOS and Android, there are some pretty advanced things going on. Um, I would dare to say it's a mature market at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Seems like Microsoft is even starting to admit that. And I, yeah, and I, you know, if Microsoft couldn't make it happen, I doubt Canonical can. Hmm. The, I mean, as an, so the question is, right, should someone try to make a third platform? No. But if you're a developer, you know, one-man band or whatever, 
Ubuntu Phone still, or, or perhaps more Firefox OS, still may be worth your time, right? Hmm. Even a Windows Phone could be, because you don't need that big of a user base. But the smaller the pool is, obviously, the you're not doing yourself any favors, right? Top comment on this Engadget article. An Ubuntu OS not consumer-ready? Shocker. Is that the is that the general public opinion now? Is that what's out there? You know, I'm I'm sh- kind of surprised to even see this article on Engadget. When you when you added it to the show notes, I was legitimately surprised to see the source. Yeah, me too. That's why I, one of the reasons I put it in here because I was surprised it even. I mean, I guess they're aware of it. But it was the you know, the editor is Jamie or the uh, author was ja- is Jamie Rigg uh, on Engadget. I mean, sometimes I feel like the mainstream tech outlets write off you know alternative platforms. That yeah. Are- that's, that's what I'm trying to get a sense of. So here's what I was. Here's what my here's what my answer was, Mike. And I was wondering if you agreed. Is uh, is Ubuntu going to save us? No. Is Firefox was going to save us? No. Y- y'all, no. But is the is legitimate third platform? If we're not if we're not talking desktop, is legitimate third platform the web? And so is that really what you have to target? And so these yeah, are starting, all just yeah. So the web is, in my opinion, now the primary platform. Right. That it's your service or project or app or product, whatever term you want to use, really is a cloud service with multiple front ends, right? Now, those front ends may be native apps, because that makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons in many, many cases. Um, That front end is almost certainly going to be a website, right? There's going to be a web app somewhere. But it may also be, you know, web-based software on mobile phones, tablets, and hell, toasters one day, right? Mm. Um, and so then does it become who wins that is the, uh, the either, so either you're, so, so, so what I think you're saying is on iOS and Android, it's going to be native apps and on, uh, on, uh, on Ubuntu it, and other ones, it's going to be web apps. I, I think that's a little hard of a, uh, a line to draw, right? Again, I think the market's mature now, and there's all these options, and people are picking the right tool for the right job rather than being like, okay, I want to be on iOS. I have to write this in Objective-C. Yeah. Um, and, and then, uh, of course, a lot of them are just pulling down services in the back end that they can just expose with the website on the other one. It just always feels like those are still going to be second-class citizens. I guess that's right, well, but, but look at something like you know Xamarin Forms, which I don't love, right? But if all you're doing is rendering data from JSON and you're not doing anything intense on the client... Um, Assuming they fix that crazy Android image view, right. uh, table view bug, yeah, then that is a very quick way to get something done. Assuming you don't mind paying all the license fees. Um. Uh. So, uh, would you ever be willing to try? It? Would you ever be willing to try it? Would you dog food it? Would you? Would you be willing to try a a, a, a smartphone that's uh, web app only? Mostly. How would I know it's web app only? No. How? I mean, no. I mean, like, like, like a Firefox OS. Would you run a Firefox OS phone for a couple of weeks and see how it goes? You want to send me a Firefox OS? You do it. Offer. You do yeah. it. Hmm. I might try it. I might. That's I mean, like, you know, honestly, what do you what do you do on your phone, right? I mean, uh, I, I mean, I guess it does fall no. down pretty quick. So. I Telegram. Yeah. I mean, I message messaging. Messaging's big. Uh, web browsing, Google searching, map mapping is pretty big for me. You know, I think we're missing the forest for the trees here, though, right? So, and ready, get ready, Chris. The pitchforks are coming. Windows RT. Metro, whatever name that we can use without getting sued, um, was a great platform. Oh, God. You you talk for a second, okay? I got to go close the window. I'll be right back. You keep talking.
it was seriously it was the best platform from a developer's perspective. The XAML integration, I mean, Xamarin's a poor slave's flattery of what native Windows, um, particularly Windows RT, was able to do with Xamarin and all of that good stuff, right? C Sharp, perfect, great language. Everything worked well. Async away is a godsend. And it failed. Why did it fail? Well, because people didn't buy the platform. Okay. Okay, are you, are you done with the Metro stuff? I'm sorry, I had to step away I was, for I was still Metroing oh, out, okay. right? So I was just saying... Uh-huh. You know, from a developer perspective, RT Metro was, in my opinion, one of the best platforms I've ever worked. Yeah, I mean, I know there was a lot of nice things you did like about it, but uh, yeah. I mean, no one. I mean, Reactive Cocoa, right? It's a poor, poor bastardization of what people of the magic <laughs> that Windows RT was. I mean, that's, oh, we're going to send signals and uh, we're going to combine them, and no, you want MVVM. What happened, Mike? You're making me sad. What happened? What happened? Oh, I know. Are, are, is your inner tux like crying? Well, uh, it just uh, it does. It, I guess they were too late. A dollar short and too late, huh? Well, this is my point, right? It, even though it was an awesome development. Oh, platform, I, oh, I see. You're it had, all it had a lot, you know, mm-hmm. had a lot going for it. Even technically, I, I would argue that if it launched at the same time the iPad, those Surface RT tablets would have been strong contenders because they were good devices for office workers, for salespeople, for customer service people. I'd argue that if you want to cut costs, give them an RT tablet with an LTE connection. The problem was it didn't matter, right? So Chris always goes on his bad wagon about how oh, the web sucks, blah, blah, blah. Oh, is that what I do? Matter, right? It's the yeah, lowest I, I do do that, don't I? Look what Microsoft had to do. They had this wonderful development tool, wonderful platform, and what are they doing? Oh, now you can cross-compile your Android app. And yeah, oh, WinJS, of course. Um, it, it doesn't matter, right? The the users, the developer market, the overall community has spoken. It's the web now. I mean, that's at least your starting point. You may end unless up going- unless you're on iOS, then it's Swift. Unless you're on Android, right? I mean, it's not the web for everybody. That's it is though, right? Because there, I would argue that any project that has recently been brought to me, we consider can this be done on the web, right? Because that you know this market isn't new people aren't going to pay you know tens upon tens of thousands of dollars for per platform for their app right yeah. there's just realities that yeah. are at work now. yeah I think, what was it real basic people used to develop in that was garbage <laughs> why do they do it because it was cheap and easy there you go like why are there so many v basic developers still around because it's relatively easy to do the work they need to do on yeah and the web is sort of your best investment um isn't it Right. Yeah. And now with these embedded uh, web applications on mobile phones, you can run offline, right? We're not just talking about constantly being on the wire. Um, I don't know where this leaves us, but a little sad. My, my point isn't that... Actually, if you're right, that's, not, that's nothing to be sad at at all, because one of the things we've struggled with in this show a long time is, is what happens when you get locked into these platforms and their app systems, and then you totally lose any control, and the web sort of restores some of that. So in a way... Yes, but the I, it web almost is also feels like light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, but the web is also a little crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, for instance, I love AngularJS, right? I'm doing everything in Angular now. It's beautiful because it's got that wonderful data binding stuff I like. But there's Ember, there's Backbone, there's all these other things. And it's not really, I know all you open source people are going to attack me now, but progress would be made a little better if we were all going in the same direction. 
which is of course Angular, by the way. <laughs> it's rolling on. I'll give you a great example, and this was going to be the topic for today, but I didn't put it in the notes. The Ionic framework. Um, Chris can just throw it on the chat room. Mm-hmm. The what Ionic is? It's an Angular JS HTML5 platform for developing mobile apps, right? Did we talk it about this does, a little bit last week at all? We we talked about it two weeks ago. Oh, and okay, okay. We're going to talk about it. Okay. We didn't. Um, this whole thing is basically, you know, it's got some tie-ins to do some nice fast animations. Uh, you know, just like every other web mobile platform does, right? So the animations don't look like garbage. But it's based on Angular JS, and it brings you some of that data binding magic. I can get a quick user feed done in this probably two hours. Hmm. Fully done. UI, everything. This looks Data. really nice. A whole bit. I like their slogan, uh, performance obsessed. Right, but development speed is amazing in this. Because they picked a lane. They said, you know what? If you're going to use this, you're using Angular. And everything is Angular. You right. bind everything. You write it once, you bind it. You, it's awesome. Now it has some problems, like all of these other cross-platform tools. Right. Its biggest problem is that it's kind of not mature. Mm. I mean, it's more stable than any of its competitors and under the hood it's actually cordova so you're you're shipping a cordova code base okay, okay there's of course some issues right now you have this big dependency on angular so again it's would you want to do that however i'm willing to gamble that if i did a native table view with images and an and a ionic table view with images put them both on the same iphone and ask chris to tell me which is which he couldn't figure it out hmm. scrolling That's nice, man. That's this is actually kind of exciting. The place where this falls down is oh, you want some watch integration? Oh, well, sorry. Oh, really? Well, because it's you know you gotta do like a native tie-in thing and go like, figure, go freaking figure, right? Things get weird. Um, <sighs> I think this is where we're going because in addition to this, they have prefab widgets, prefab templates that you can just come in. Use them and then skin them. Very Visual Studio. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Right. That does make. I, I could totally see that. I mean, the way things this go. This is a mature market. I mean, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, "I want an app," okay, do you want a tab bar app? Do you want a side little hamburger button thing, or do you just want like a nav controller app? They basically only have three options, right? I mean, in tablet they have a few more, but mm-hmm. that's so. There's no reason to constantly write that stuff from scratch. I'm this checking out, they have, uh, so if people want to check this out, I, I, um, ionicframework.com, and then if you go to ionicframework.com slash examples, they have uh, code samples posted up, yes. uh, and they have a code pen demo, which I'm looking at right now. This is neat. It is pretty neat. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> this is neat. Right, look at these guys. Oh, what the hell are you doing? Oh, I'm my. looking at their pull to refresh code right here. So spinners. Yeah, and, and I just I'm looking at their pull to refresh sample code right now, which is nice. I like its bounce. It's got good bounce. That's really cool. I like that they show you it right there too. You really can just jump in if you want to start conceptualizing. Or playing with it, yeah. yeah. But this is my point, right? Not that everybody should use Ionic, use whatever you want to use, but we're not in the days of you know, getting back to a bunch of Canonical can't ask people to go write things in QT or go or Q or whatever. Mm-hmm. They can't ask people, what was it, Python, right, GTK? They can't ask people to write it in Python. They can barely ask people to write it in Mono, because Xamarin effectively broke that. 
you got to go with it. And and the way it's going is the web. So if you want to support these smaller platforms, if you want to, you know, go where the puck or skate where the puck is probably going, yeah. Yeah, and if you want to be fast too, which sounds like is sometimes a big component of it too, because it can also right, keep well, costs down. Right, development speed fast. Now, there are certain things that the web is totally inappropriate for on mobile, right? Like, you know, there are media intensive things and things like that. You're probably still going to go native. But for a lot of this stuff, you could probably get away with web. Seriously. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I feel like I feel like I'm all. I've, you kind of got me fired up now. I'm kind of excited. This is really great. Now, having said that, said that, I spent all weekend writing native Android. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Of course, you did mention that earlier, uh, and, and and maybe that's why you were fantasizing, right? You're looking over there, going, "Oh man, if only." Oh boy, if only. No, you know what it is because this I want to integrate very tightly with Android Wear, so it just made sense to go with it. And I'm not sure that there'll be a second platform. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, is Monica asked if there's a humming? Yeah, so, um, you know, the, the JB1 Studios uh, is a townhouse that uh, I, I've owned for many years, and uh, we just converted it into a studio um, a couple years ago, but I've owned it for almost 10 years, and um, it has a yard. And you know what townhouses and communities have? They have covenances, and covenances require that you mow your lawn. And uh, as a small business owner, I really couldn't give a shit about my lawn. And I don't care that my, if my lawn in my backyard, which is fenced, is mowed or not. Um, but because I get fined if I don't get it mowed, and because this is how it works in a small business, my lawn is being mowed during the only time I am recording a show today. Because otherwise I get fined by the covenants. And none of that has anything to do with show production. That's just an example of what life is like for a small business owner, everybody. Oh, don't even. Yeah. You know, because couldn't get mowed an hour from now or an hour. From, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know what I'm going to do? Just to really make myself upset, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna do an ad read while that's going on. Just to really make the, just to really kind of, just to show my sponsors uh, the kind of quality content they can expect. On the Coda Radio program, because oh. only the best, and I, and you know what? Now the now 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 those folks on the Covenants board can rest assured that the JB1 Studios lawns will be mowed. That's good. That's good. All right. So, uh, Mike, we have uh, we have some very thought provoking feedback actually to get to today. Um, we had uh, we we had a kind of a heated discussion on last week's show, and we sort of left out one of the major contenders. And we totally got called out on it. So first, before we get to that, before we do our make good, I want to mention something that's really good, and that's Linux Academy. In fact, I'd love you to go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders and support this show and get the Coder Radio discount. That way you can try it and really get a good good experience of what Linux Academy is all about. Linux Academy is a great resource to go learn more about Linux and all the technology and open source projects around Linux that you might use in your day-to-day job or contract work or something you want to get into. Or maybe you've landed a gig and you need to get up to speed fast. They have step-by-step video courses, downloadable comprehensive study guides. I love that the courseware comes with its own server, too. It's part of it. They like that VPS is included. And when you choose from the Linux distro to, to have all your courseware based off, so, you know, like, like Debian, Red Hat. I mean, they got everything, like seven-plus distros, really. And then you choose that, and then it automatically defines all of the courseware and the virtual machines. That's super slick. And Linux Academy is always rolling out new features. And one of the things that's nice is it's stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting community members. And, you know, I thought about that uh, because not only is that nice just in their forums, you kind of get like a – you get a lift, you get a boost. Um, but you can also 
you can also sort of connect with Jupiter Broadcasting community members with your profile. Uh, this is something they rolled out, uh, I think, at, at, towards the end of April. Uh, their profiles uh, are uh, something you can go to populate, like, your achievements. And you get a, you know, so it's like linuxacademy.com slash user, then slash your username. And you have essentially your achievements for the courseware. And it's kind of a neat way to not only show the community what you've done, but you could also include that URL in a resume or if somebody's looking for references if you've worked on or it's something that you know uh, a manager could check at review time. And they also have group accounts, too, for those of you who maybe run an IT department. You want to have a few folks get in here and get their skills up to date. They're always rolling out new Red Hat courseware, too. That's a big area of focus. AWS is constantly getting updated. Oh, and their OpenStack courseware just got a refresh as well. And, of course, they've got technology based around all of the other Linux uh, stacks like Nginx and LAMP and all, uh, Android development under Linux. And then if you just have a little bit of free time. They've got these nuggets that are rolling out, two to six minutes of information, two to 60 minutes, I should say, you know, just like a deep dive into a specific course. It's really cool. You can, in fact, if you just want to get a sense of that, go to linuxacademy.com slash nuggets. Manipulating logs with said, dig for DNS, user key loggers, Linux signals, a, oh, that's a good one, console logging with a script utility. These are all just nugget coursewares. Really good stuff over at Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. linuxacademy.com slash coders. It supports this show, keeps us going, and also gets you the Coder Radio discount. That's linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. linuxacademy.com, a platform for learning made by people who truly care about Linux and open source, so they're super passionate about it, and it really shows. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Mike, I wanted to cover a bit of feedback uh, that came in from, um, let's start with BeefKai. BeefKai, and then we'll also get into, um, then we have another bit of feedback uh, from um, Little Dan about uh, .NET for business applications. But let's start with uh, BeefKai. He says, I'm a little disappointed in your watch talk. You so thoroughly ignored Pebble. This was last week's episode. I understand they don't have a budget to compete with Apple Watch or Android Wear, but it definitely feels like Pebble would suit the very least Noah better than either of the heavyweights. It gets in, it gets you notifies, it gets you notifications, does all those good things. Pebble's approaching the smartwatch market from the right angle. Make a watch. Now make it smart. Apple's approach feels like it's just trying to reverse an iPad and shrink the iPhone. Google's approach feels like it's just really another way to interact with Google. Admittedly, the functionality level is not the same. The difference, though, is that Pebble seems to understand the smartwatch is an extension of your phone, and there are things better done on a larger device. And this was, we were trying to discuss if I'm a developer and I'm going to make a bet on a Wear platform right now, which is the better platform. I was kind of trying to argue that it's either Android Wear or potentially the Apple Watch when, when the next SDK comes out. Let's wait and see how WatchOS 2 looks. But uh, we didn't really mention Pebble, Mike, and... I don't really have a good answer for that. I, I have a Pebble watch. In fact, I did kickstart back the Pebble Time Steal or whatever it is, the, the one that's supposed to start shipping at the end of the month. So I'm not that familiar with how well Pebble's doing. Um, oh, they sold a lot. I mean, they set like another record on sales. Yeah. I, I do wonder, though, how much overlap there is on like the Pebble early adopters and the Apple Watch early adopters or the Android Wear early adopters. Meaning how many formal Pebble users are now using one of the two major platforms, right? Man, it seems to me, too, like, yeah, did one of them switch, you mean? Right. So it was like Pebble, your your intro, right? And then you, when the Apple Watch came out, you plucked down 500 bucks on an Apple Watch. That's what I'm kind of thinking. You know, but to be fair, what? The base Apple Watch is, is it really 500? It's 350. Is it 250 or 350? 350, yeah. Yeah. Um I just think that if you are in the market to buy a smartwatch, you're probably you probably don't have the cheapest Android device, right? 
I would say that. And I would also probably say, you know, if you have an Android phone, it constantly shows you apps that are available for Android Wear, right? So you're probably likely to pick up an Android watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you have an iPhone, I just don't see that many iPhone users interested in a wearable. You know, I saw quite a few Apple Watches at Oscon, by the way. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? I, I don't see many not just picking up the Apple Watch. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, ran into a few Coda Radio fans at Oscon. They say hi. Open source Coda Radio fans? Yeah, well, a lot oh. of uh, Oscon people are not just like uh, the open source advocates. There is a good amount of those. Um, but a lot of Oscon's primary focus is people who are just working with open source in their stack somewhere. Everywhere. The whole stack. Pretty much. That's why Oscon's kind of a big show. Um, and so, yeah, there were some developers there that came and said hi. Um, a lot of yeah, Apple I mean, watches. I saw a lot of. I saw a lot of. Uh, I saw a lot of Apple watches. I saw a lot of a lot of Apple stuff. Actually, yeah. I, I usually do at Oscon. Um, so I don't. I I don't know. I don't know how Pebble can no, be successful yeah, if it has such if it has such limited functionality on the iPhone. The Pebble experience on the iPhone is pretty poor. Yeah. What you get to do is you get to dismiss notifications and um, maybe maybe next to track. You know things like that. Next to next to the skip uh, skip thirty seconds ahead in your podcast app, maybe if you're lucky. Um, and it disconnects frequently. It's not very good in my in my experience. It, it has gone downhill um, recently. So yeah, the chat room. Let me see. Uh, Navarro makes a good point. Are, are, is that true? What he's saying that they've launched a new Kickstarter for every model. Well, for every major revision, yeah, they have. In fact, uh, some people have quit the company because they say it's so poorly run. That's um, not a sign of health, right? No, that's, I know. That's not great. I mean, having said that, I, you know, if even if I had an app out there and someone came to me and said, you know, we'd really like Pebble support and there were enough people, I wouldn't be opposed to that. No, but, absolutely. I mean, I so there's things I like about it. Obviously, the battery life is killer. It's legit. And the other thing I like a lot about it is it's got the best waterproof. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you, Matt. Uh, Matt, jeez, Mike. Okay, um, Matt, that's a good guy. Yeah. Uh, here's what I'm going to tell you, though. Matt, week last week. Uh, uh, the I I have mine on pre-order, my Pebble Time Steel, and um, on the Kickstarter, Chase has one. It's not the Steel; it's the Pebble Time, and uh, it it it's it's got it's got two bezels, Mike. It's got double bezel, and the screen is tiny. It um, I took the Apple Watch swimming over my Oscon trip. That's brave. Yeah, well, I, I'm I, I'm only using it for the while, and I wanted to. I'm giving it I'm giving it a review. It's not a it's not a toy. I'm I'm really trying. I'm putting it through its paces as a watch to see how it holds up. And uh, so I took it swimming, uh, and uh, took it swimming all day. Um, let's see, we got down there. We got down there Tuesday uh, around uh, one, and we swam for a couple of hours. And I swam for a few hours uh, Thursday before we left, and I wore the watch the whole time. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the best thing to say for the reader, right, is. You know, I, at least for me, I don't have a lot of resources to do anything, so it's hard to not focus on, you know, one or two major platforms. Yeah, and it seems like you're you're betting on Android Wear right now, which is pretty solid at this point. It's a pretty, I mean, compared. Yeah, I mean, to, the market share isn't quite what I would like it to be. Geez, no, uh, Apple Watch has lapped it a few times now. Yeah, they sold but, more last month than the month before. They just came out in their quarterly earnings. And they yeah, sold they sold more in the first weekend of Apple Watch than they sold all watches in 2014 Android Wear. Yeah, it's surprising. I mean, I they say they're happy with the uh, progress. It didn't feel like a lot sold, but 
No. I guess the best kept secret in California is the Apple Watch. Well, at this point, they did say, though, at this point, it's sold better than the iPhone or the iPad had right. at, their, at this stage. And the iPad set records. Um, so, uh, no, I'm so Azer, I mentioned last week on the show, I'm, I'm trying it for a couple of weeks. Uh, I have the right now, no, I gave Noah my Android Wear. He's trying that. And uh, I'm trying the Apple Watch until the Pebble Time Steel arrives, and then I'll switch to that. I mean, eventually I'll, I'll get myself an Apple Watch and try it out. Right now, you know, my wife has one, and it's just not that interesting to me. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was watching hers from afar, and uh, so now I'm trying it. And uh, there's def- definitely differences once you try it. There's some, okay. yeah. There's there's some nice things that are different. Um, but yeah, you know what? I think Android Wear is a very good, between between the two of them. If I was going to pick a watch right now, I'd probably pick Android Wear. If they had a really well built watch too, though, that's sort of one of the rough spots right now. But yeah, it's it's interesting. All right, so let's read this next one. It came in from a little Dan forty five in the subreddit, and he says, uh, "Hello, I used to be a full time Linux user, but I started a new company, and it was all Windows. So I started developing applications for them in C sharp." I've been a C-sharp developer now for three years, and I mostly make applications for data entry and reports, and I'm using ASP Web API as the REST service connecting to MySQL. I decided I'm going to start learning new languages, new frameworks, because I prefer to have a Linux server. So my question now is, what would you recommend for me? I have looked at a few options, but I would really appreciate some advice. This is what I've been looking at, C++ or Qt and Qt for desktop applications, Python for the REST server, and maybe desktop applications. Ruby on Rails for the REST server, maybe go all web and HTML, CSS, JavaScript, maybe some Java. I've, done, I've not done any web apps, so I'm concerned. Um, I've not done any web applications so far, but I'm considering it. But then again, I really do enjoy making some good desktop applications. So we have a couple of comments here, but... Uh, what do you think about a Python server, Mike? Is that uh, what would you rather? What, what does that make you? Uh, how does that make you react when you think of uh, building a Python uh, server I for the rest? We have a few Python servers. Oh, okay, all right, all right. Good I was try wondering. though. Good try. <laughs> but that was sneaky. Uh, no, I mean, if you're just if your target application though is data entry, you probably could do the whole thing web based, right? Like a Rails app or a Django app. Mm-hmm. That might do it. Uh, yeah, I agree. And if you know, I think that's actually a good one because um, uh, I don't trust. Uh, this seems like he's moving around on a whim, and so I would be careful not to seems go. Like he's bored, right? He's yeah, bored of yeah. I would be careful not to go too hog wild. And like Matt, like we were just saying, Mike earlier in the show, um, um, you pointed out that really it's going to be the number one platform if you zoom out. And so you're not going to hurt yourself by going down that route anyways. He also mentioned Ruby on Rails. How does that make you feel? Well, so I was saying Rails would be fine, right? Oh, okay. Uh, if you think about what I'm – and again, this is always hard, right? But what I'm imagining your application is you know, customer data, something like that. That's very object-oriented, ready to go, right? Very yeah, yeah, yeah. So a nice Rails app with a Postgres database would be pretty ideal. Um. I don't know how big or small your needs are. You know, obviously, if you only have a handful of users, you can almost do it in anything you want because there's no, you know, needs to scale. Um, I, the only thing I would say is, well, what's wrong with ASP.NET Web API for what you're doing? Or, right, because if it's working and if you have, let's say, four or five other applications you've written for this company, they're all on Web API. Um, it might be weird to transition them over, not only to a new platform, but to a new language. Assuming that your current web API apps are hosted on some sort of IAS server, which I think you said, what what is the need to move, right? What's pushing this move? 
Mm, mm-hmm. Uh, is it boredom? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, and who's going to maintain these? Is it going to be, you know, they have, you leave the company, there's four, you know, four ASP apps, and then you wrote one random Python one, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, well said, well yeah. said. Although now with Visual Studio Code, you could probably do it on Linux anyway. I was just going to say, maybe maybe the last topic for the day today, speaking of Visual Studio at least, Visual Studio, Visual Studio 2015 has hit RTM. There's our little jingle for it. Just, it. just in time for Windows 10 on Wednesday, too. It's a big week for Microsoft. <laughs> oh, wow. Nobody else. Uh, so are you downloading Visual Studio 2015 right now? I am not. Mm. What about Windows 10? I am not. You're not even going to load on anything? Nope. Don't have the hardware. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Maybe I, if is it any is it even worth trying in a VM? Is it, do you get do you get do you get the goodness in a VM? The quote unquote goodness. I don't know. I don't know. I'm too busy planning a road trip and making a bit, planning a big announcement. That's what I'm focused on. Who who has got time for Windows 10? Well, I suppose I'll have to cover it because it's going to be. I'm going to. Tech Talk comes back this week now that I'm back in town. So I guess I guess I got to read up on it and follow the news for that kind of stuff. You know what I mean. Mike, is there anything else we want to talk about today? Is there any, do we have another feedback we want to get to? Let me check. I see nothing. Oh, uh, yes, actually, we do. do you, we have, uh, yeah, this is actually a pretty the good one. The Swift thing, yeah, the, the functional thing. That the- so Mr. Functional writes in, and he says, Hello, Mike and Chris. I just wanted to drop a quick comment in regards to Mike's commentary on Swift. Uh, no hate. I believe that the recent shift of languages like Swift, Scala, and Rust towards making functional programming more accessible and useful by mixing useful concepts from that world with the more traditional ones from the imperative world is only a good thing. You see, too often I have come across a bug in a C code base which could have been prevented had C mandated variables to be immutable by default. At the same time, pure functional languages like Haskell are so strict about the immut- immutability that it becomes cumbersome to work with. Languages that merge these two approaches usually strike a nice balance here, plus allow for nice other constructs like pattern matching, traits, and better, safer current concurrency, and constructs. In this way, we can actually get many of the useful functional programming techniques out of the academia and into the real world. And that is a good thing. Now, isn't that actually, on a sort of big meta level, your initial reaction at Swift was, this is going to make this type of programming more approachable and easier for everybody? Right, that's the whole point of Swift, right? That's that it's was your main to, issue with it, though, wasn't it? Right. The, the point of Swift is to make it easier for people who don't have that whole. Yeah, I mean, we could say it a little soft, right? If you've never worked on language like C plus plus or Objective C, Swift makes it that you never had to. Basically, right? You can just kind of ignore all the wonderful history of Arc and memory management and all that good stuff, um, which is probably a net positive. I still. Like, I, I've been doing some Swift just for my own kind of little playing around. I don't think functional works great for UI at all. Um, you know, and I, I do hear, and I do talk to a lot of people writing Swift, and I can't help but think, are you writing Swift as though it were Objective-C, right? Like mm. that kind of, you know, you could, you could totally do that, and it works, but what's the point? Hmm. Yeah, but that's no, it's certainly not a bad thing. I mean, the the writer makes a good point that Mr. Functional, that getting these concepts into people's minds, into what they're doing, is better. Certainly on the server side, I think the more functional you can go hmm. for a lot of things, the better. Not for every application. Don't write in, but there's a lot of cases where that makes a lot of sense. But 
on the client side, I, I still think that, you know, the whole impotence for OO in the late 80s, early 90s was GUIs, right? Like, that's one of the bigger things that people use OO for. Because um, it fits really well, right? You have a button, it's an object, you manipulate it. The whole, again, you know, like I don't mean to beat on reactive Cocoa too hard, but <laughs> that's very faux functional, right? Like, that's all the baggage and the mind-bending crap of being functional, but under the hood it's really OO, because Cocoa's OO, and you're not going to be able to get away from that. Mm. <laughs> Which is kind of my same problem with Swift. It's wonderful that Swift can do all this functional stuff, and I agree in many cases it will protect you from stupid mistakes, but the whole Cocoa framework is an OO-based framework. And don't even start me on like the core foundation stuff, right? Um, I don't... You know, Apple, this is a hard thing, right? Because this could sound really stupid in the year when Apple rewrites a major part of Cocoa to be totally functional. Um, but right now, that's not the case. And... Again, it could just be me, but... It is definitely a strength of Swift that you can write it in an OO way, right? Yeah. But it's also kind of like, not the, I almost wish they had gone for it, and I know why they couldn't. I just said, you know, Swift is a purely functional language. It's obvious why they couldn't write it. They were being pragmatic, to be honest with you. Right. So, you know, most people are writing Swift as though we're, but but don't, you know, Swift, but don't call it Objective-C, right? Uh Uh-huh. Or Swift, but don't call it Java is probably really really what people are doing, but we won't talk about that. Mm. Which, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm going to assume the pragmatic side of me says, well, if it compiles and it works, it doesn't matter if it's not really functional. Um, You know, but then at that point, there is no need to change languages. I do grok what Mr. Functional is saying, though, about how it's good to bring these things to the general world, from the academia, basically, out to the real world. It is, but I I question how practical that is when you have this entire, you know, 20-year legacy of what is essentially Cocoa, right, that your entire system is built on that is very, very not functional. Like, how far can you go down that path in this particular case, right? Yeah, that's true. Hmm. It would be like... What's the long-term plan? You know, I... I and again, people don't, don't get angry, but I think Microsoft and the Microsoft people have this right. F-sharp is not a replacement for C-sharp at all, Right. There are just some cases where F-sharp makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And some places where you would just use F-sharp. But F-sharp is a purely functional language. It is a much more, you know, it is what it is kind of thing. Where Swift, I feel like, wants to have its cake and eat it too. Yeah. But that's fair. I mean, Swift is definitely aimed at beginners. Um, I think some college is starting to teach Swift. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know it's going to happen if it hasn't already. It did happen, I think. It's in mm. Stanford or something. Wow, that was fast. So, of course it is. It's not a bad thing. You're right. I mean, more tools are better. I just wonder if it's not if it's not bad to be sort of functional and sort of OO at the same time. Hmm. That's all. I like it. I would like to hear people's thoughts. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Coda Radio from the drop down or you can go to coderadio.reddit.com. In fact, I'd really like you to go there and suggest any topics you'd like to hear us cover in... Maybe your comments. What about that? Oh, my gosh. You could even do those and your votes, too. Coderadio.reddit.com. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send people throughout the week? Nope. But, you know, we do something special next week. Yeah, buddy. What is it? Let's have a call. You know what? Let's have the users on Reddit suggest topics. 
You want to do it? All right. So coderadio.reddit.com. Submit your stories and vote. You can also just vote, and we'll pick the top voted stories. And uh, maybe a few other surprises next week as well. You'll have to tune in for episode 165. We do this show on Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over jblive.tv, jupiterbroadcasting.com, slash calendar for your local time zone. See you next week. Mm-hmm.